Well, good morning. Welcome to Lenore Presbyterian Church. It's a pleasure to see all of you. Let's stand and greet one another from a distance. Give a nice wave, as Rob says, an air hug. Good to see you all this morning. Let's go ahead and remain standing as we pray together. Father, as we gather here today, we ask one thing. That's that you would exalt your name. Exalt your name in this place. Exalt your name in our lives. As we leave here and dine with friends and family, may your name be exalted as we relate With those we love, may your name be exalted as we lie our heads down to sleep tonight. May we know we're weak and frail and exalt your name in the process. So Father, that is our request. We want nothing more. We want nothing less. May your name be truly in our lives the name above every other name. Pray this all in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. Should nothing of our effort stand, no legacy survive, unless the Lord doth raise the house in vain its builders drive. To you who boast tomorrow's gain, Tell me, what is your life? A mist that vanishes at dawn, all glory be to Christ. All glory be to Christ our King, all glory be to Christ. His rule and reign will ever sing, all glory be to Christ. His will be done, his kingdom come on earth as is above, who is himself our day. Him reign, Lord of love. Let living waters satisfy the thirsty without price. We'll take a cup of kindness yet, all glory be to Christ. Glory be to Christ our King, all glory be to Christ, his rule and reign will ever sing, all glory be to Christ. 
be to Christ our King. Let's pray once more. And Father, you are a God who listens. And you're a God who responds. You're a God who can do something about our requests. And you do that within your own timing and we trust you, Father. We have many requests be with our sisters, Bobby Fulmer, Dottie Darcy, Kathy Proctor, and Melanie Shell. They are in extra need this morning of your grace and healing hand. May you also be with our brothers, uh, Wes Collins. Father, pray that your grace and mercy would shower upon all of them. Be with Jim Hogan today and any other names that we bring before you. And Father, as we unite to bring our requests before you, we also unite in how our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. The book of Psalms can be likened to a roller coaster. From the thrill, excitement, and encouragement of Psalm 21, O Lord, in your strength the king rejoices, 
to the ever so slight crunching of the roller coaster tracks that makes the psalmist cry out just a psalm later, Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Even if you dislike theme parks and the ups and downs and loops and turns that come along with them, we can easily equate this emotional movement to our very lives, can we not? Our psalm this morning, Psalm 79, has it all. As we'll read, it's a psalm of Asaph, but more than that, it's a communal cry of the entire nation of God's set-apart people. The people who were called to be lights engaging darkness. But instead, they desired a king to rule over them, a king that looked far more like the darkness than he did the light. A military king that may have looked the part, talked the talk, walked the walk, but who didn't at his core fear Yahweh and keep his commands. They wanted a king like the nations. And in wanting that, they were given that. In Psalm 79, our psalm this morning is the result. Destruction, devastation, disaster, and death. Let's begin by reading the first five verses. Uh, they'll be on the screen this morning. Psalm 79, 1 through 5. A psalm of Asaph. O God, the nations have come into your inheritance. They have defiled your holy temple. They have laid Jerusalem in ruins. They have given the bodies of your servants to the birds of the heavens for food. The flesh of your faithful to the beasts of the earth. They have poured out their blood like water all around Jerusalem. And there was no one to bury them. We have become a taunt to our neighbors, mocked and derided by those around us. How long, O Lord? Will you be angry forever? Will your jealousy burn like fire? This, brothers and sisters, is a picture of devastation. How long, O Lord, the psalmist and the entire nation weep? How long, O oh Lord? This simple phrase, this rhetorical question accurately sums up the brokenness and devastation that we often feel and experience. It's not only a cry of desperation and confusion, but if we're being quite honest, if we look at the picture the psalmist is painting, it's an accusation. How long, O oh Lord? Will you be angry forever? Will your jealousy burn like fire, and yet God had given them what they asked for. He knew, God knew, that he had to allow his children to willingly walk through the valley to see their dire hopelessness apart from him. And now the nation brings a charge against the very God, the very king who met their requests. Who even before that fed their fathers and mothers in the wilderness, who provided victory for them over their enemies, who gave them his law, which was intimately written by his very finger. 
which was to be a constant reminder of his faithfulness and love to them. And now, now they have the appalling audacity to say to God, how could you? How long? After repeated disobedience, after continued rebellion, they willingly walked into the valley and wondered why weeping and darkness was the result. This then, verses 1 through 5, is the obvious product, the obvious result of what they desired. Obvious product, right? How easy it is to read and point the finger at God's Old Testament people, all the while, four fingers pointing back at his church. Because when I examine my own life, I know my tendency that while the promised land is in complete ruin, that while God's temple, the place of his residence and dwelling is in utter shambles, while his people are food for the animals, there I would be, acting like everything is fine, probably smiling and attempting to tell a bad joke, and then selfishly and shamefully grabbing a broom and trying to sweep up the devastation that I helped to create. When faced with the devastation of our own sin, whether it's blatant and external, or even more terrifying when it's hidden and internal, it's far easier to run, hide, sow fig leaves, clothe ourselves with that, and deal with it ourselves than it is to welcome the God who specializes, who majors in cleaning up the mess. But the song, brothers and sisters, is not finished. The story, not yet complete. And while we would all love to skip over the mess, jump straight to the bumper sticker verses that make us feel good, we cannot overlook the mess. For God to be a God that wipes away every tear, Isaiah 25 and Revelation 21, there must be tears for God to wipe away. And among this complete and utter chaos of verses 1 through 5, there is a grace that lies underneath the surface for the people of God to unearth and discover. Walter Brueggemann, one of my favorite writers and theologians, says it far better than I could regarding the beginning of Psalm 79. He says that what strikes one most is the guileless simplicity, so the utter openness and honesty of strongly felt passion, which, which can be shared with Yahweh. There is no self-deceiving politeness, no attempt to protect Yahweh, from how it really is. After reading this, one of, uh, a question that came immediately to my mind and a question that struck me where it needed to strike me the most, an accusation towards God then becomes an accusation towards self. And that question, which will be on the screen this morning, is are our Godward prayers, questions and complaints, hidden underneath a put-together, 
polite facade, or are they heart-wrenchingly honest and childlike? Childlike, that the hand that swings at me when it doesn't get what it wants is the same hand that is reliant upon me for sustenance and life. Jesus asks us to come to him like little children, and I think we do that far better than we think. With overflowing tears and tantrums comes abundant grace. The cry, how long, O Lord, is not a polite one. It's a rightfully guilty party, accusing and questioning God, flawless, gracious God. And yet, church God loves when his people cry to him. He loves when they bring their honest questions and accusations and complaints to him. Put down the broom. He has shoulders that can bear the weights, that have borne the weight. The psalmist begins to slowly realize this. As the song continues, a picture of devastation then leads the people of God to a plea of intercession. A plea for God to move an act, to move an act not according to who we are, but according to who he is. A confidence that has its roots firmly planted in the unending grace and goodness of God. Let's read Psalm 79, 6 through 12. Pour out your anger on the nations that do not know you and on the kingdoms that do not call upon your name. For they have devoured Jacob and laid waste his habitation. Do not remember against us our former iniquities. Let your compassion come speedily to meet us, for we are brought very, very low. Help us, O God of our salvation, for the glory of your name deliver us and atone for our sins for your name's sake. Why should the nation say, where is their God? Let the avenging of the outpoured blood of your servants be known among the nations before our eyes. Let the groans of the prisoners come before you. According to your great power, preserve those doomed to die. Return sevenfold into the lap of our neighbors the taunts with which they have taunted you, O God. A plea of intercession. In verse 8, they ask Yahweh to not remember their former iniquities and sins based on his compassion. In verse 9, they ask Yahweh to help them based on and for the sake of the glory of his name. In the same verse, verse 9, they ask Yahweh to deliver them and to make atonement for their sins for his namesake. In verse 11, they ask Yahweh to listen to them and to their groans and to preserve them by his great power. And in verse 12, they 
desire Yahweh to make his justice known because of the taunts of their enemies. His compassion, his glory, his name, his power, his justice. This shows us, church, the movement from lamentation, from mourning, sorrow, loss, to exaltation, hope, faith, confidence, and it is a messy one. But the eyes of our hearts begin to open when we no longer look to ourselves or to institutions or to rulers or to authorities, but to the steadfast love and faithfulness of God in the person and work of Jesus Christ found in his word. This leads the psalmist then to exalt in God's discipline, knowing that it's God's love. A people who desire and ask for God to discipline them. A people who anxiously await for God to reshape and reorient and rescind. This is what King Jesus does. A king like the nations wants no part in that. A king of the nations has no power to do that. A wise dear brother of mine and a former student in our youth group, I won't say his name, Isaac Bast, said this to me earlier this week. He said that when you're in the valley, you want to be on the mountaintop. When you're on the mountaintop, you're thankful for the valley. May we be thankful for the valleys and hardships that bring us to the feet of our good shepherd, Jesus. This brings us then to our final verse. Verse 13, the psalmist finishes by saying, but we, your people, the sheep of your pasture, will give thanks to you forever. From generation to generation, we will recount your praise. Quite a different tone than when, what we had in the beginning. This is exaltation, this is worship expressed as a pledge of faithfulness. A desire to be faithful, but not for faithfulness' sake or because of some newfound impulsive desire to prove to God that you're good enough. No, a stumbling, not so perfect, but genuine, ever-growing and mature that stems from the flawless faithfulness of God to his people. Our how long, O Lord, moments become beautiful opportunities to relate to one another. And in so doing, be the body of Christ to one another and for one another, which then exalts the head of the body, who is Jesus Christ. And this is just what Christ came to do, is it not? Exalt his Father 
and understand and relate to his people, to mourn, to cry, the king of the universe, mourning and crying, to laugh, to rejoice, and to suffer and to die. Jesus experienced a devastation of the sort we saw in verses 1 through 5, but to the nth degree. Not only the destruction of his physical body, but the destruction of the spiritual union and bond between him and his Father. As the perfect Christ cries out, Why have you forsaken me? My God, my God. This undeserved forsakenness, so that what? So that those rightfully deserving of it experience eternal union with God forever. Out of this reality, may we focus today on continuing to learn what it means to submit our total allegiance to King Jesus the true king who gave himself up to call his enemies his friends. Let's pray together. Father, our prayer is the same. To know you, to rightfully exalt you, to make much of Jesus today. Pray that you would both convict us and comfort us as a good shepherd, that we would not fear the rod and the staff, that we would desire it to look more like our Father. Help that to inform and influence the way we parent. Help that to influence the way we befriend. Help that to influence the way we interact with those in our communities, those in our church. And in all of that, may Jesus Christ be made much of. May we truly surprise the world with how we love one another. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So now as you go into the world, as you go into your neighborhoods, as you remain in your home, May you celebrate the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. Go in peace.